Okay, let's turn to uh, 3.7 we're going to jump into. This is the um, continuer. We're, we're getting there. We're getting through these uh, churches, these seven churches that are receiving these letters from Jesus. This one almost sounds familiar to you because it's a church. Mike, this is a church in Philadelphia, right? So immediately you think of those rotten, terrible, I hope nobody, I, don't, I hope I don't offend anybody, Philadelphia Eagles. Being a Dallas Cowboy fan, you know what I mean. It's like, uh-uh. Any of you guys Philadelphia fans? Because I can pray over you. <laughs> I can do it. All right. So anyway, Philadelphia, I think most of you know this. Philos is love. Delphos is city. And so you put them together, and Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, right? And um, there was a Philadelphia... Uh, in Asia Minor long before there was a Philadelphia here in the United States. And the, the message that this uh, little city receives, I think, is, is significant to us. So let me just begin, and then I'll tell you a little bit about Philadelphia. It says, and to the angel, that would be the, the pastor, the overseer of the church in Philadelphia, I want you to write these words. These are the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Okay. There's a load there, so let, let's unpack it just a little bit. For, first of all, kind of think about Philadelphia with me. Uh, the, the neat thing about these letters to the churches in Revelation is you, you get to see how God is, is helping each church become very aware of what's going on in its region. All right. And typically, there's something going on that the church absolutely needs to address. Okay, so uh, I think of it this way: uh, here, here at at Peace, as we're kind of beginning a journey together, one one of the first things that we're trying to do is begin to identify people in this city who we need to bring here to talk to us a little bit about what what are the issues that we're facing in this city. Okay. Now, already, by observation, just by way of observation, um, what we're beginning to hear, what I'm beginning to hear is, well, we're a city where we have issues with marriages. We've got a lot of divorce here. We're a city where there's a lot of drug traffic that comes through. And there are folks that are stuck in using um, meth, uh, particularly. I go out and I visit this guy at the trailer park and he says to me, I've got all these people, they come in, they rent trailers. Uh, most of them are single moms with kids. Um, they don't have dads in their, their lives. And uh, so as I listen to that, I think, okay, what's happening in those families' lives? So some observation helps you a little bit. But we're going to ask some, some city leaders to come in and talk to us a little bit. And what you begin to see is that in every city, this is, this is just strange to me, but it's true. In every city, it's almost as though the, the evil one, our adversary, seems to be able to just get hold of a city in some particular way. And, and the church is called to, to do what? To kind of retreat and say, well, that's, that's the city's problem. No, we're, we're to be the city set on a hill. Go make a difference, right? So um, in Philadelphia, you're looking at a city that's a fairly good-sized city, known at that time as kind of the gateway to the east. It was kind of the St. Louis, you know, of its, of its time. Fairly well-known 
as a gathering place and, and a place where they did a lot of what we're going to call cultic festivals. All right. So, um, you know, I started thinking a little bit about this. How do, how do you put kind of put some skin on that for us today? Um, I don't know if there's any festivals that take place here in Grand Island that are a big deal that people know. I guess there's one that happens every summertime, right? What's it called? The state, the state fair. There's a, there's a festival that gathers people from all over the place. Um, I understand there's some pretty good singers coming to the to the state fair. I think of things like uh, Lukenbach, Texas. Any Willie Nelson fans? <laughs> Let's go to Lukenbach, Texas. With Willie and Waylon and the boys. Well, Lukenbach is like one, one mailbox and one general store and one gas station. That's Lukenbach, the whole thing. But I'll tell you what, um, 4th of July, whew, everyone descends upon Lukenbach, right? And here comes Willie, and he's going to play his big 4th of July deal. And it's, it is, I mean, they have, they have food and fireworks and armadillo beauty contest i kid you not <laughs> they paint their fingernails they paint them up i'm like that thing is you cannot make an armadillo look good but they do it they try to do it kind of a festival well um if you think about this philadelphia was one of those gathering places it was just a convenient location where you would have cultic festivals taking place and and as a result of that uh the church is asking the question what what do we do do we, do we just kind of sit back? Do we, do we engage our culture? What do we do? Okay. Um, I'll be asking that question uh, here at Peace. You've got, you've got a state fair, right? Okay. Um, does Peace have a booth at the state fair? Are we, are we out there at the state fair? Okay. Because guess what's going to happen? A lot of people are going to come in. And guess what the state fair represents? Seed, water. What's our job? Plant the seeds, water. Who gives the growth? God. Okay. A lot of churches say, well, we're not going to go to the state fair and have a booth because, you know, people are just passing through. They're not going to join our church. It's not about joining the church. It's about taking the gospel of Jesus Christ out, plant it, water it. How do you get out there? Well, that's, that's essentially what's going on in Philadelphia is... The, the, the church, the congregation, has a great opportunity to go out and to, to bring the gospel to a lot of people who are coming into the, into the town, into Philadelphia, throughout the course of the year for various celebrations. They're pagan celebrations. And so how do I go out and make a difference there? Part of what happens in the church is we ask ourselves the question, well, what difference can we make? What difference can we make? Well, think about this. God is the God who is going out before us. He is the one who holds the key. And I want you to hear these words again, and then I'll give you some history behind them. This says, he holds the key of David. Whatever he opens, no one can close. Whatever he closes, no one can open. Okay? So there's two sides to that. What we're really saying here is that the God who we follow goes out and opens up doors of opportunity into people's lives. Will Satan try to shut those doors? Absolutely. Can he? Nope. 
When God desires for his gospel to go out, he will open up the door in such a way that we just trust him. We absolutely just trust him. It's why when people say to me, well, how, how are you going to get into that area? The church can't get into that area. I'm like, just watch. We follow the God who has the key of David, the authority, right? He opens a door. No one can close that door. How are you going to get into this public school? How are you going to get into this business? How are you going to just follow the guy with the key? He opens the door. No one can close it. The opposite is also true. When he shuts the door, no one can open it. All right? So what, what he's doing is the shutting of the door is I'm going to shut the door of opportunity for Satan to destroy what I desire to happen. All right? So it's a picture of authority. Where does it take us in the Old Testament? If I'm, if I'm hearing these words, so just kind of picture yourself, you're part of this church, you're part of the Church of Philadelphia, and you hear these words, and it says, to the angel of the Church of Philadelphia, write this. These are the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one can shut, who shuts and no one can open. Historically, where does that take me? Okay, these words, the key of David, who holds the key of David, are familiar to the first hearers who are listening to this letter. Okay? They take us back to two different places. This is a little bit complex, so I'm going to have to. I'm going to tell you keep your keep your your mind sharp this morning, because um, the complexity here, if you don't follow it, it's pretty easy to miss. Okay, these words holds the key of David. You're going to find back in the Old Testament. They surround a group of three people. And they're going to find these three people, if you'll turn with me first, over in 2 Kings chapter 18. Let me introduce you to the people first. 2 Kings 18. I'm going to go right away to verse 17. So 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. And I want you to kind of pick up these three names. I'll give you the setting. We're about 701 B.C. Okay. Hezekiah has just been named the king, the new king of Israel. Most of the kings, when you read through First and Second Kings, are horrible, right? They they don't do their job. Their job, their job is to do what? Is to is to make sure that the, the nation is worshiping Yahweh. All right. Hezekiah, oppositely, is a great king. He's one of these guys that God is going to use in a powerful way to take to take Israel, who under his father has strayed away, and bring him back. Okay? So Hezekiah has just been named the king. The first challenge that, that, that Hezekiah receives is from the nation of Assyria. And so the scene that you have in front of us, 701 BC, is the, the king of Assyria is getting ready to confront Hezekiah. Go to verse 17. This is the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. All right? So here's the king, and he sends out these, these three individuals along with an army. Okay? I kind of like these names, by the way. The Tartan, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshakeh. Now we're, those are offices that people are holding in Assyria. They're political offices, right? 
we're not exactly sure what each one of them is, to be honest with you. But still, I kind of like the names because they just sound kind of cool. Um, I've thought about adopting one of them. <laughs> just like on your business card. Where are you? I'm a Rabshaka. <laughs> a what? A Rabshaka. What is that? I don't know, but it sounds cool. Okay. So they go with an army, a great army. This is probably an army. I mean, historians estimate an army about 185,000. Okay. So imagine 185,000 people are behind you. You've got these three individuals come, and they're calling out Hezekiah. So what does Hezekiah do? Hezekiah sends three people. Who does he send? It says, when they arrived, they came. They stood by the conduit of the upper pool. It's on the highway of the washer's field, which if you ever go to Jerusalem, the washer's field, you probably have somebody say, this is the washer's field, and this comes from First Kings. They really don't know where the washer's field is today. We just, we're not aware. We don't know. We can find the upper, the upper pool, but not the washer's field. Okay, it says, when they called for the king, there came out, here's the three that uh, Hezekiah sends. Elakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the house, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. Okay. So, three and three, right? Here comes the Rabshika and the Rabsaras and the Tartan. And Hezekiah says, okay, Elakim, you go out there. Shebna, you go out there. And Joah, you go out there. And there's going to be this confrontation. And, and in the confrontation, I mean, I'm just going to kind of get, I just want to introduce these names to you. What's going to happen is the representatives from Hezekiah are going to listen to what the Assyrian dudes have to say. And the Assyrians are going to say, well, if you don't pay tribute to Assyria, the king of Assyria is going to come smash you. And don't think your God can save you. So they end up going back to Hezekiah and saying, well, the Rabshika came in and was like, ooh, we're going to come crush you. And Hezekiah says, pay no attention to him. God is on our side. All right. What I want you to do is keep these three names in your, in your mind because you're going to meet up with them and you're going to find out they have something to do with the key of David. All right. So keep those names in your mind. Elakim, Shebna, and Joah. Question. Where do these guys show up again? in the Old Testament. Isaiah, chapter 22. Flip over there. Now we're about 740 B.C., so about 39 years have passed. Those three guys who are representatives of Hezekiah are, are gone. They're out of the picture. All right? Uh, the kingship has changed. And, and yet, we're going to meet them through the prophet Isaiah in, in a kind of a non-literal way. All right, so follow what's going on. We're, we're 39 years later. Isaiah comes, and now instead of saying what he did at the time of Hezekiah, where God said, I'm going to crush your enemy, during the time of Isaiah, 39 years later, guess what God is saying to, to Israel? You're going to get crushed. And so we have hear what's called an oracle concerning Jerusalem. All right, just kind of follow me through it. I think what I'll do, instead of have you read the whole of it, let me just, let me just take, take you to verse number 8, and we'll, we'll kind of pick up the action there. 
Isaiah is saying to Israel, he, namely God, has taken away the covering of Judah. During the time of Hezekiah, I got you covered, right? Doesn't matter who comes after you. Guess what? They can't, they can't touch you. He who has the key of David, what does he do? Opens the door. No one can close it. King of Assyria comes, says, I'm going I'm to come take you. God says, no, you're not. No, you're not. That door is closed to you. He closes the door. No one can open it. Now, here we are 39 years later, and what does God who holds the key say? Guess what? I'm removing your covering. I'm going to open the door to a pagan nation who's going to come in and smash you. He's saying this to Israel. Did people believe him? Did people believe Isaiah? Not at all. They listened to him and they said, who are you, some old prophet? We're God's people. And so when you read Isaiah, you're reading very strong words where he's saying to them, oh no, guess what, God, the, the key holder, he's going to open up the door, okay, but it's not going to be good for you. So verse 8, he's taken away the covering of Judah. Here's what it says, in that day, you looked to the weapons of the house of the forest. Remember Solomon when he built the temple? Built what was called the house of the forest where they stored the weapons for Israel, right? And so he says, you're going to go look for those weapons. And you saw that the breaches of the city of David were many. You're going to go, you're going trying to grab weapons because here comes this army against you. And what you're starting to see is where we thought we had a stronghold, that place is falling and that place is falling and that place is falling. And Isaiah is, is talking about something that's getting ready to happen. He says, you collected the waters of the lower pool and you counted the houses of Jerusalem and you broke down the houses to fortify the wall. Your wall is given away, right? So now you're having to take wood from the houses to try to go fortify your walls because the army is coming against you. Now, verse, this next verse 11 is pretty telling. You made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool but you did not look to him who did it or see him who planned it a long time ago. Here's what that's saying. You're trying to defend yourselves without looking to God. You're trying to fight your battles in your own strength. And you're going to fall. And you're going to fall hard. So he says in verse 12, In that day, the Lord God of hosts calls for weeping and mourning. You should be crying. You should be on your bellies saying, Dear God, forgive us because we have, we have strayed against you. But instead, look what's happening. Verse 13, Behold, what do I see instead? Joy and gladness. Killing oxen, slaughtering sheep, eating flesh, drinking wine. You're having a party. You're having a party when you should be weeping and mourning. Sometimes I think about this in the church. I, I really do. I mean, if, if I can be honest with you. I think God says, okay, take a look at what's going on in the world today. Just look at it. Easter morning, when you, you, you pick up a, a newspaper, all right, we're all like, okay, it's Easter morning. We're going to go hunt eggs. Remember what was on the front page of the paper Easter morning? A black face. 
that belonged to a young man from Sudan. Because on Easter morning, they were mourning the fact that the Islamic forces killed a lot of Christians. Why did they do that? You think that was planned, that they would kill a lot of people on, uh, for Easter? Yes, it was planned. Okay? Islam is always trying to do what? Cut the head off of Christianity. It's the false religion. We'll kill it. Okay? So sometimes in the West, I think we're kind of going along having our, our party, right? We! And God says, no. This is a time for mourning and weeping and calling upon me. Because there's a battle being fought. And guess what I believe? It's not just over in Sudan. It's here. It's now. It's in our neighborhood. And God says, church, fall down on your, your bellies and know that you don't have the strength to win this war. I do. I have the key. I have the key. Call upon me. I will open the door. And nobody can close it. I'll close the door. And no one can open it. And so this is what Isaiah is trying to say. He says, God's calling for mourning. Instead, when I look around, I see you having a party. Okay. Verse 14, the Lord of hosts has revealed himself in my ear. Surely this iniquity will not be atoned for you until you die, says the Lord God of hosts. Whoops, here's the name. Shows up again, see if you remember it. Thus says to the Lord God of hosts, Come go to this steward, to Shebna, who is over the household. Recognize the name? It's one of those three, right? Shebna, remember back in, in 2 Kings, was one of the people who was a steward to the king. Now this is being used symbolically to say something. The king owns everything. What the king does is he says, I'm, I'm the one who has the key. I have the authority. You're, you're going to come under me. But here's what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to give you, my steward, charge over my household. That's what a steward does. We as a body, as just one church, have been given by God, right, what we call the office of the keys, you guys have heard that, right? What is that? The authority of Jesus Christ to do what? To take his gospel out into the world. We're always under his authority. But he says, here, you're the steward of my household. Okay. What Shebna did as the steward of the household was instead of acting humbly and coming underneath the Lord, acted what? Arrogantly. Well, I can do what I want to. Um, as an individual, I think about this. How am I doing, and, and, I, and I'm not going to pretend with you guys that I'm doing great with it, because I'm like you. All right? I think, how, do, how am I doing with the time that God gives me, the, the resources that God gives me? How, how is all of my life making a difference in the kingdom that will last forever? Because the kingdom that we're in right now will be gone like that, right? And so a steward is always saying, I don't own anything, I don't have anything, everything that's part of my life belongs to God. How do I use that in such a way that it blesses the kingdom? Shebna does not do that. Instead, look at what Shebna does. Shebna, what have you to do here? Verse 16. 
Whom have you here that you have cut out here a tomb for yourself? You who cut out a tomb on the height and carve a dwelling for yourself in the rock. What Shebna has done is he's acted arrogantly to say, I'm going to make a name for myself. Instead of serving the king, I'm going to make a name for myself. And so this is symbolic language. You've cut out a tomb for yourself in the rocks. A You've, you've made a, you're, you're making a statement, I, Shebna, will be remembered forever, right? So here's what God says to you. And I, I don't really like these words, but here's what he says. Verse 17, behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently, O you strong man. He will seize firm hold on you and whirl you around and around and throw you like a ball into the wide land. Okay, that doesn't sound good, does it? It's kind of like I, you know, we've got this little schnauzer dog and he likes to get, I guess, the, I guess schnauzers like squirrels for some reason. And, um, you know, I always talk to my dog. I'm like, you're never going to catch a squirrel. Well, one day he caught a squirrel. And I'm like, oh my gosh, now what's he going to do? I mean, that dog, he's like, <laughs> squirrel's like, <laughs> pretty soon the squirrel's not moving. I'm like, you killed the squirrel, <laughs> you know. So I get this picture, like, I'm going to win you around, I'm going to throw you out like that, all right? So it's not a good picture here. What he's saying is, you're, you're a steward called to, to what? To serve me, and instead you've, you've, you've put yourself, my name, I'm going to make this about my name, instead of doing what I've called you to do. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to whirl you and throw you out. God says, that, that's what's happened in Israel. That's what's going to happen to you, okay? So it's not good. Now, go down to verse number 20. Here's the other name that you see. In that day, I will call my servant Elakim, the son of Hilkiah. Recognize the name? There's the second name from 2 Kings. Okay? So who was he? He was one of the three that was under the authority of the king. The difference between him, Elakim, and Shebna is Elakim represents the servant who serves with humility, who comes and says, I will do the will of the God. I, I don't have authority except his authority. And so I will serve him well. And here's what God says about him. He says, I will clothe him with your robe and bind your sash on him. He will commit your authority to his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah, the humble servant will receive the robe of the king. Okay. Now, here it shows up, verse 22. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. There it is. He shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and no one shall open. Okay. What Isaiah is pointing to, and, and Isaiah is famous for this, he's pointing actually to a servant of the king who will have the full authority of the king to open and close doors that nobody can do the opposite of. Who is he pointing to? Jesus Christ. Okay. Who, when you turn to Daniel 7, I won't have you look there, guess what he receives? The crown of the king, the robe, and the sash. The key of David belongs to him. 
Isaiah is prophesying that. He's pointing all the way forward to Jesus Christ, who's now identified as the one who's speaking to the church of Philadelphia. And if I'm standing there in Philadelphia and I'm, he and I'm hearing these words for the first time, the minute you say to me, this is the one who speaks the truth and who holds the key of David in his hands, I go back in time and I'm like, oh, he's the humble servant. He's the servant who does the will of the king. He is Jesus who's come to serve you. Now, flip all the way back over the Revelation. You guys following this okay? Told you there's some complexity here. It's true. Okay. Now, let's just kind of go back through it. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David who opens and no one shuts, who shuts and no one opens. Okay, we got the picture now. This is Jesus Christ who is the humble servant underneath the will of the Father. Here's what he says to the church. I know your works. I know your works. Behold, this is important. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. That's critical for us to get. I think those words relate absolutely to, to the church today. Don't miss it. When God spoke to, to Peter at the time of his profession, right? Peter says, you're, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember, Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, upon this, your confession, I will build my church. And what do you say? The gates of what? Of hell cannot prevail against it, Right? What Jesus wants a church to know is that he is going out before us with the key of authority, the key of the king, and he is opening up a door for us that no one can shut. Okay? For, for a church body, that is huge. That is significant. We have to believe, and I, I really mean this, we have to believe with everything inside of us in a way that says, let's, pr let's pull together and pray over this thing that God is calling this body right here to change this city. Seriously. How are you going to do it? Not in arrogance. We're not Shebna. We don't say, let's make a name for Peace Lutheran Church. Scrap that. Forget that. It has nothing to do with peace. It has nothing to do with let's build, let's build a bigger church. What is it about? We're humble servants who come underneath the authority of the king to go out and to change this city. How do you change it? Well, we believe that God, whatever God calls us to, he opens the door for us. He will open the door for us. He's the one who has the authority to do that. He will go out before you to do that. Okay? Um, we, we have a lot of stuff that we're going to get to do together that I just, I don't even know how to explain it to you. I just get so excited about it. But um, I, I can picture us together you know, going out into part of our community together. Have you guys ever done prayer walks before? Have you ever done that before? It's where, you, you know, you, you gather together and you walk through an area. Barry, you know what I'm talking about, right? You walk through an area and you just, you just pray over it. And people think you're crazy. They're like, what are you guys doing? We're, we're walking and praying at the same time. Um, last prayer walk I went on, and we're, we're, we're trying to say, okay, God, will you, will you open up the door to this brand new, for us, brand new apartment complex. And so we went out and we're, we're kind of walking along and praying. All of a sudden, this, this lady's voice screaming 
screaming. Turn around and look, and here comes this car down the street, and this lady is hanging on the front of the car, screaming for her life. And I'm telling you, if that car would have stopped, or she'd have fallen off, she'd be dead. So I'm looking at that, and um, whoa, 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 this, this can't be, right? So we run out, and um, I mean, you're not even thinking, really. It's just like spirit mo moment. I'm running out like, what are you going to do, Luke? Stand in front of the car and stop it? He who, who has the key, he opens the door. No one can shut it. I got to wa watch that. I'm running out there, and this car goes, stops. I have to put my hand out, and it just stops. The guy in it jumps out of the car and starts running. How did that happen? Nothing I did did that, Right? Spirit of God did that. This guy goes running off. Get the little lady. She was just shook, sobbing. Took her a while to calm down enough to say, okay, this is my car. The guy that jumped out, he's my boyfriend. He's been hitting me. He's been beating me. I told him that I was going to leave him. He got in my car and tried to run over me. I held on to the top of the car, and I, here I am now. I said to her, ma'am, I said, um, we're on a prayer walk right now. We're just a church here in town. And I believe with everything in me that God put us here today, this day, for you. And for your kids. And for the rest of your life. She started sobbing again. I, have, I, I, I haven't really been, I haven't really been worshiping Jesus. I need you. Yes, you need Jesus. Yeah, absolutely you need Jesus. But what's going on in that moment is you, you look at this big old apartment thing and you're trying to think about how do, you, how do you ever get into that thing. Well, you can't. The one who has the key can. And you know what? You trust that and you believe that. And whether it's that one person that day or it's another person another day, that's how he works. What I'm telling you is, I just get excited about thinking about, let's, let's go out into this city and let's believe that God is going to open doors and there are going to be people, one, for him, because not because of anything we do, but because you just say, I'm a humble servant, God, and I trust that you, you will open that door before me. Now look at what's happening in Philadelphia. Don't miss these next words. These are important. A lot of people miss this. I know that you have but little power. Okay. When you go back and you look at this, okay, you, you can say, okay, well, they, it's, a, it's a nice thing for Jesus to say to the church, I, I have the keys and, and I've opened this door before you uh, and I know that you have but little power. Um, okay, that's nice. It's not nice. Here's what he's saying. This is the one letter where you don't hear him explicitly say, but I have this against you. But that's, that's what's happening here. What power does the church have? True, in and of ourselves, we have but little power. Okay. But we don't rely upon our own power, do we? What power do we have to change a city? The power of God. 
What's happening in Philadelphia is Jesus is opening up this door of opportunity for them. And they are not going through it. They're not going through it. It's the, it's the Spirit's way of saying, you're, you're kind of halfway going out. You're doubting me. You're doubting my strength. You're doubting my power. Don't doubt me. Go out, believing with everything in you that I open the doors. No one can close it. But instead, I look at you and you have little power. You're not going through the door. Okay. I look at churches all the time, and that's, that's something that I just say, is, is know that you don't have any power in and of yourself. That's true. But you come under the power of the one who holds all of the authority in the world. Go out in his strength and believe that and trust that. And he's saying to Philadelphia, what, what is happening amongst you? Okay. Something's going on in Philadelphia that I believe is affecting this church. Um, there's a lot of Jews in Philadelphia. Ever read the book of Acts? You read the book of Acts and here's what you find out. The Jews hated the Christians. The Jews figured out a way to work with the Roman government to create problems for the Christians. And oftentimes slow them down or sometimes kind of paralyze them. And sometimes a church, instead of being bold and going out and saying, you know what, we're, we're just going to step out in the name of God and see what happens, they would shrink back. Okay? They would be affected by it. Philadelphia is a city, just look at these next words, that's being affected by the Jewish church. He says, yet, here's what I have for you. You have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Okay. Synagogue of Satan, Jewish synagogues in the city of Philadelphia. Okay. What are they doing? They're coming against the churches of Philadelphia in such a way that they're impacting them. So kind of put the two things together. And here's what Jesus is saying. He says that you've got these Jews, they're working with the Roman government, they're creating some problems for you, no doubt persecution. You haven't denied my name, you haven't shrunk back away, but at the same time, you're not going through the open door. Be bold. Don't fear persecution. Don't fear persecution. Go out and be strong in my name. Come under my authority. You don't have a little authority, a little power, you have all of my power. Go out in that strength. He says there will come a day when I will take all of those from this synagogue of Satan and they will bow down at your feet and they will know that I have loved you. You know when that day is going to come? It's in uh, Philippians. Paul says, every knee shall bow at the name of Jesus Christ. When, when he returns, guess what happens? There's a bowing down. There's a surrender. There's a wait a minute. We came against you for coming in the name of Christ and now we bow down to the name of Christ. That will occur at the end. And that's what, that's what Jesus is saying to the churches. Don't fear them. Because the day will come when all knees will bow down before me and recognize I'm the one who holds all of the authority. Okay. Now, this last part is, is good. I don't want you to miss it. 
Because you have kept my word about a patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Okay. Uh, here's what he's saying to this, this body in Philadelphia. Don't worry about your life today. Okay. Uh, it's true. There's, there's persecution going on in Philadelphia. But I've got an open door. Go through it. Live this thing out under my power. Okay. And here's what I'm going to spare you from. Be glad that you're, be glad that you're doing your ministry today and now because I'm going to spare you from that, that one hour of tribulation that will come upon the whole of the earth. You discover what that is over in Mark chapter 13. We'll look at this pretty quickly and then we'll close. Go over to Mark, just real quickly. Mark in chapter 13, beginning verse 14, talks about what you'll hear me repeatedly refer to as that last moment in history prior to the return of Jesus Christ. Okay? You'll hear this referred to in several different ways throughout the book of Revelation. Most commonly, there's a time, and there's a time, we're in that, and there's a half a time. There's a time, Old Testament period. There's a time, New Testament period, we're in it. There's a half a time. Half a time is that period in history where just prior to Jesus' returning, there is a massive tribulation placed upon the earth. So much so that writers like Mark say, you don't want to be alive during those times. He's saying to the church in Philadelphia, you'll be spared from that. I'll read it real quickly. We'll come back and reprise it next week. Here's what he says in verse 14. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. For alas, women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in the winter. For in those days, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. Now look at these next words. If the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. What Mark is pointing to is exactly what Jesus is referring to here, that one hour of tribulation, that last moment in history where if, if, if the one who holds the key didn't cut it short, no human saved. We are not in that period of time today. And so when I see books that come out, you know, well, it's the, it's the end time. I guess it is the end times. No question about that. Is it the last days? No. How do you know? Just read Mark. Just listen to Jesus' words. That half a time, that one hour of tribulation, will be unlike anything you and I have ever experienced. We'll reprise that because there's some thoughts that I want to kind of put into your mind about what that time period is going to look like. Church of Philadelphia, be bold. Don't worry about your life. Be strong. I open the door. No one can close it. Let's pray.